When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's overreaction Monday. It's been a good one, if I may say so. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll take it right up until the top of the hour. Gordon and Larry will slide in at that moment. Remember, you can get me on X at Dan Grosser, G-R-A. CA. So we thought what we would do here for this segment, try something a little new we're going to incorporate into the program, especially when we have these full uninterrupted shows here. It's impossible to keep tabs of everything. So we're going to kind of, you know, make you aware of maybe some of the things that you missed along the way, especially coming off of the long weekend. And everybody was probably preoccupied with football. So there's a lot of things that are uh, under our grasp here. So we will get through them one by one and have a little fun along the way. Now, we'll start with a football item. One that we didn't mention, and I teased it a little while ago, that is also another head-scratching coaching decision. And this came in the Tampa Bay-Detroit game. Now, this is when essentially the game was over. Detroit is up by 831-23. They're taking a knee, right? Victory formation, as they say. And full disclosure, I did not catch this as it was happening live. But it turns out Tampa Bay still had a timeout left to play with. And Todd Bowles did not bother using that last timeout, which would have made Detroit punt the football back to them with third, or not punt the ball, but have to give up possession somehow, would have brought up fourth down. He still had 30 seconds left to play. Now, it's the playoffs. There's no game next week if you lose, right? Your season's over. So 30 seconds left in the game. Why not use that last timeout? I mean, we've seen crazier things happen. Watching football over the years. Here was Todd Bowles' explanation today as to why he did not use that last time out. They already had available and lined up, and it would have been about 12 seconds left on the clock and the ball game. We were going to come back from that. All right, so if you didn't hear that, okay, he said they already had a field goal lined up, and there was only going to be about 12 seconds left, and we wouldn't have been able to come back. If they made the field goal, it would have made it a two-score game, and then essentially that would have wrapped it up. However... However, it would have been about a 48-yard field goal. Now, the Lions kicker, for his career, from 50 or more yards out. Now, granted, 48 yards, 50 yards. We're talking about a two-yard difference. You know what his career percentage is? 38% from 50-plus. So you mean to tell me it wasn't worth taking a 38% chance that he might have whiffed on a kick or the kick might have got blocked? And then you could have at least potentially given yourself one last try at a Hail Mary. But because of the sins from earlier in the game, they then would have had to go for a two-point conversion to knock things up, and then maybe they wouldn't have gotten it anyway. But, uh, I, I mean, what's the rush? What's the hurry? Why would you want to get out of Dodge so fast? Why the hell did you even bother getting on the plane and coming up to Detroit if you're not trying to win the game? I don't get it. Don't get it. Let's move on. College hoops from over the weekend. There was a huge upset yesterday. Huge, at least I think. Iowa versus Ohio State. 
Women's basketball. We bring up Iowa because they've got Caitlin, Caitlin Clark, right? The best player, box office. So Ohio State beats Iowa. This was on NBC, actually, right before the Lions-Bucks game. Ohio State wins in overtime. And then when the game goes final, they have stormage. They storm the court. They're excited. They just beat Iowa with Caitlin Clark. Everybody's excited. Caitlin Clark's running off the court. Fans are storming onto the court. Of course, there's a collision between Caitlin Clark and a fan. Down goes Caitlin. It happened. You could see the video online. Here was Caitlin on the incident. I was just trying to exit the court as quickly as possible, so I started running, and I was absolutely just hammered by somebody trying to run onto the court and basically blindsided and, you know, kind of scary. Could have caused a pretty serious injury to me and knocked the win out of me, but luckily my teammates kind of picked me up and got me off the court, so... And their AD already came and apologized to me, so I really appreciate that. And, you know, this is what comes with the territory. I mean, I'm sure they tried their best to do whatever they could. Obviously, it didn't work, and that's disappointing. But, you know, just focus now on the game and, you know, ways we can get better. Now, this is her head coach, Lisa Bluter, on the incident. You know, it's unfortunate the game ended that way, and Caitlin gets taken out on the floor. Um get some inappropriate words yelled at her by fans, by students. Um, that just should not happen. It should not happen. Our players should be safe. They should be able to walk off the floor. Um, I, that's, uh, that's very disappointing. I think Ohio State, great team, great environment, but, but obviously very disappointed with the post game with our players getting injured trying to walk out of the gym. That's wrong. I know there's some people online already that are having some fun and saying that, like, you know, it wasn't that bad of a um... – collision that she uh, was essentially flopping which I, I don't buy that I mean it, it was legit but look storming the court at these college games this has been a hot topic for a number of years and this is just the latest example you know you have these for the most part they're students right that are just running onto the court having a good time partying whatever and you know the safety of any player whether it's home away that's not at the forefront of their mind you know they're out there having fun they're living the college life. I don't know if this is something that's going to go away. I mean, but realistically, what can they do? Hire extra security? Rope off the entire court if it's basketball? Good luck trying to do it at football, where you have more space to work with, and if people are just piling down from the stands onto the field, they're going to find their way in. You know, they've seemed to relegate now the taking down of the goalposts. You know, they've, they, they've worked on that in the college ranks, but... You just don't want to see anybody get hurt. But this is still very much like a part of the game. You know, it's part of the whole, like, college atmosphere. Stinks it has to come that way. Hey, big hockey news from over the weekend. How about the Islanders making a change at head coach? And I know that, look, Lane Lambert was not exactly a favorite of the fan base. I get it. They've been calling for his head for a long time. They had that bad loss on Friday, and then Saturday afternoon, I thought it was a joke when I first saw it pop up online. I had to, like, go back and double-check and make sure that it was legit. When I see Patrick Waugh's face and a picture of him and the Islanders and head coach, I say, what? How about Lou Lamorello and only the way Lou can do it, keeping things under wraps and hiring Patrick Waugh to be his next head coach? Here was Lou on a conference call on Saturday if he believes – that this Islanders team is still a contender. You don't make a decision like this if you do not feel that like that. 
it's no different than when trade deadline comes that you don't make a move unless you feel that your team has an opportunity to win or it can help you get in the playoffs. And in my opinion, uh, uh, that is exactly what this is for. Uh, and now we have to put it on the players because I know Pat what Patrick will bring to them. Now it's what the players will bring to us. Hey, they're one for one. They won an overtime last night against a good Dallas team. They're actually going to go to his old stomping grounds in Montreal coming up on Thursday. That should be quite a scene. I mean, he is he's enormously popular up there in Quebec, which uh, should be a sight to see. But it's it just it, I, I marvel at the fact still after all these years. And look, somebody who covered those Devils teams when Lou Lamorello was running them for a number of years and, and you know, being around the organization for the better part of my life, just growing up in Jersey, that in this day and age, the way news spreads like wildfire and with social media and like nothing is a secret anymore. Nothing. It's amazing how Lou can still pull these moves off without anybody knowing. Remember, these are never the case of like some insider reporting that this is who they're hiring or this. No, it's the team is announcing this is our next head coach. Like, okay. I mean, I'll give you an example. Back in the day when Lou was still running things with the Devils. Same thing, notoriously secretive, notoriously quiet. If they, you know, word has it that if they were working on a trade with somebody, if the word ever leaked out, Lou would back away from the deal and not even go ahead with it and say, well, I told you not to tell anybody and then just done. So word had it that the Devils were going to hire a new head coach. I forgot what year this was. It might have been like, oh, seven, oh, eight, something like that. I don't remember. And this was still when they were at the Meadowlands. Show up to the press conference at the Meadowlands. Bunch of media there. Everybody sit in the room. Nobody has any idea who the new head coach is. Nobody. They call the press conference saying an announcement of a new head coach. Nobody had any idea who the damn coach was going to be. So let's say, you know, the press conference was supposed to start at, I don't know, 12 o'clock. It's like 11.59.30. We're still in the dark. And then all of a sudden we take our seats and then somebody from PR comes in and starts handing out the press release that says the Devils are uh, hiring Claude Julian as their head coach. Like, that is when you find out. And then a minute later, Lou and Claude Julian come walking into the room. So this ain't a joke. This is like real top secret stuff. Hey, we'll see if he can light a fire under the Islanders. There's talent on that team. It's funny, analytics became... A big part of the conversation yesterday, I was listening to some of the interviews he was doing and how, like, all the time that he spent away from the NHL, from leaving Colorado to then moving on and coaching, you know, Quebec in the um, Junior Hockey League up there, you know, seven years, he's had to dip into the analytic part of it, which, you know, he's not a guy who grew up in it, certainly coming into the game as a player and then even as a coach, but it's things you have to adapt to. Good weekend for the Knicks, right? They make quick work of the Raptors on Saturday, spoiling the R.J. Barrett and the Emmanuel Quickly homecoming. Even though both of those guys got a nice ovation, they did a video tribute during the first timeout of the game. I know the Knicks just annihilated them, right? It was it's what you're supposed to do to bad teams. Here was R.J. Barrett on returning to MSG. Yeah, man, it was it was amazing. You know, uh, it was amazing. Like I said, thank you to the fans. For sure, um, and we were, we got a tribute video, so 
I didn't think we were going to get that. But So, no, that was cool. Uh, no, I'm very appreciative, appreciative of my time here. And, um, yeah, to come back, had a lot of emotions for sure. Uh, but, you know, it was, just, it was fun to play basketball here again. What about Emmanuel quickly on returning to MSG? Uh, it was great. Just to uh, come back, obviously didn't get the outcome we wanted. I wanted to win. But uh, just to see everybody, uh, where I started my professional career is pretty cool. Just to see all my guys, Johnny Bryant, with him every day, just to see him, you know, on the other side. I was talking trash to him. He was talking trash to me. But uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Now, one thing that happened in that game, you had Isaiah Hartenstein depart midway through with a foot injury. That is a, a no good. Because the Knicks are already a little bit thin at the center position. Precious Achua probably had his best game because he had to play more minutes on Saturday night. Had a double-double. So what about an update on Hartenstein, coach? This was Tom Thibodeau earlier today. Tom, you update on Isaiah? Sure. Uh, left foot. And then we'll see where he is tomorrow. Did he practice? No. He did not? No. Did you do anything on the court? No, I just watched film. Okay. Yeah. Did he get any kind of x-rays or anything? Not just medical treatment. No. All right, so in practice today, he's questionable for the game tomorrow against the Nets when they go to the Barclays Center. And if Isaiah can't play, well, Jericho Sims, Precious Achua, you're next up. I love the depth that we have at that position. I think, you know, Jericho, uh, you know, Precious played really well in the last game as well. And then, you know, we always have the option of Julius, you know, for some minutes at the five as well. And, and um, I'm sorry, and OG as well. Yeah, I, I get it. You love the depth right now because that's what you have. That's what you're supposed to say. But this isn't something you want long term, right? And Hartenstein has been a beast since taking over after Mitchell Robinson went down. And when I say a beast, like he's going out there doing all the dirty work. He's grabbing like 15-plus rebounds a night, you know, laying his body on the line. Playing hard, eating minutes, doing the little things that are needed to let the other guys go out there and feast. His job isn't to go out there and score. He knows what his role is, and he's playing major, major minutes. I was leery when he was obviously someone that had to step into the starting lineup if he was going to be someone that you didn't want to run it too thin after a while. You know, I don't know how much longer we could stretch this thing where he's playing 35 minutes a night. So, yeah, it's good to see Precious Achua have a game like that the other night. You know, Sims, there might be more asked of him. And while we've been sitting here wondering and speculating what their next move is going to be prior to the deadline, like now Grimes' name is being thrown out there, well, if this Hartenstein thing is something somewhat serious that's going to keep him out of action, you might have to go in there and add some front court help. One thing after another. It really and truly is with this team. But you know what? They keep winning games. Nine over 500. That is a season high. Now you go to Brooklyn. And go beat a Nets team, which seemingly can't get anything going in the right direction for them. Lastly, lastly, I don't know if you guys saw this. We love music, right? Everybody loves music. It's kind of an up and down season. Mixed bag for Darren Waller. It's first one with the Giants, right? Missed some time with an injury. Probably didn't make the impact on the field that a lot of us thought he was going to. I thought he was going to have a monster season. You know, the security blanket for Daniel Jones. Well, Daniel Jones didn't play all that much either. But I still like Waller a lot as a player, and I think that he'll be better next season as a Giant. But you know what? Outside of football, apparently, I didn't know that Darren Waller had a burgeoning singing career. 
So I guess he recorded an album, or is recording an album. The single is going to be released next month. I don't know if it's going to drop like right before the Super Bowl, right after the Super Bowl. Who knows? Maybe distract Giant fans from the reality that their team's not playing in the Super Bowl. So you tell me what you think. We'll play a little sample of it here. This is Darren Waller, new single that's getting dropped next month. I know. Yeah. It's a reason why I'm on here. I ain't going to cap. I had a long year. Lessons turn to blessings, but we strong here. Try to size me up. Clip is extra long. Gotta do it big like a draft suit from LeBron. Yeah, get a ass a three piece. Atlanta, what I'm repping till I decease. Cook a classic dressing and I re- All right, that's good. You know, make sure your draft suit fits. Tough year. Get your rest. I think it's got hit written all over it. How big of a hit do I think it's gonna be? How about six and eleven? That was funny, actually. <laughs> I wish him luck. Seriously, I wish him luck. I hope. I hope. How about this? I hope Darren Waller wins three Grammys for his new album. Giant fans will just take one Super Bowl. But you never know which one's going to come first: the Grammy or the Lombardi. <laughs> Julian, what do you think? You think that? You think that pops? What do you think? All the kids are going to be into that one? Yeah, that that. It's burgeoning <laughs> rapping career. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's even got like a video. There's like some sh- shots down by the uh, the water. Yeah, I was trying to figure out where. Is it that like the Hudson in, River or something? Yeah, he's clearly in Jersey. He's in Jer- like in where. Weehawken or something. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> West New York. <laughs> yeah, New York is behind me. I play in Jersey. Oh boy. So there's Darren Waller, and that is our uh, fun little segment. There, we don't have a name for it yet. Still mulling some things over. So any suggestions, feel free to shoot them over at Dan Gross at G-R-A-C-A, and we'll see if uh, one of them is going to stick. 800-919-3776. More of your phone calls. And we'll get into the Knicks a little bit here as well. Plus, we got to get into some baseball Hall of Fame announcement tomorrow. We'll tell you who we think, or who should, maybe hear their name called and be inducted into the class of 2024 at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Coming right back on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show. On 98.7 ESPN. We're giving away over $10,000 in cash and prizes. All qualifiers will get a $25 Fanatics gift card and a chance at one of 10 Superbox prizes. Get your box for the big game by listening mornings to Rick and Dave and afternoons to Barton Hahn and the Michael K Show. Big game payouts this year, $500 in the first and third quarters. $1,000 at halftime. Final score payout's going to be $2,000. So brought to you by Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey and the brand new Tullamore Dew Honey and Security Dodge. Come get some. For full contest rules, go to superboxbonanza.com. Dan Grasso Show, we roll till the top of the hour. Then it's Larry and Gordon right here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, um, it's just amazing the power sometimes that these shows have. And you never know who's listening. You never know the reach that these shows have. And so we were doing our last little segment there and some people just want to weigh in. Like, you know, they can't pick up the phone, they call, whatever. And believe it or not, you know who was listening to the show, Julian? And I'm, I'm surprised too, because he's got a game is uh, Darko Rayakovich, the coach of the Toronto Raptors. And I, and he couldn't stay long because we were in commercial. I know we called in, so he left a message. He wanted to weigh in on the, uh, the new Darren Waller song and uh, give his thoughts on that. It's a complete crap. Look, I understand 
you know, people have different tastes. I get it. But this is shame. I think he's being a little too harsh. You know, I applaud somebody for doing things outside of their comfort zone, trying new things. Right. It's like eating out. Anytime you eat out. You're risking it. You're going outside your comfort zone. Order uh, something different off the menu, right? Uh, so I think Coach Darko owes Darren Waller a little bit of an apology there. Um, I just hope it doesn't get back to the Giants, that's all. That was uncalled for, right, Julian? We didn't need that. Yeah. Don't need that. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Dave's in the car. He's up next here on uh, 98.7. Hello, David. How are you? I'm fine. So I'm going to get this off my chest in relation to the Waller rap that you just played. Yes. And I want to talk about setting a standard. And just like your parents set a standard in a household with you as a, as a young boy, girl, and you grow up to be a teenager and adult, they want you to grow up and have a good life. You got to follow the rules in mom and dad's house. Mm-hmm. So Bill Belichick interviewed Brown and Samuels, the receiver from the Eagles and the receiver from the 49ers. Both these guys are great football players, okay? Now, this is a quote. You can look up the article. Mm-hmm. I, Bill Belichick said, I think these two guys didn't take the interview seriously. It was almost like they were fooling around too much. Now, of course, people will say Bill Belichick lost out on two great receivers. But you know what? Bill Belichick has a standard. You're going to act a certain way and conduct a certain way in order to show you're a professional on and off the field. That's number one. The second point I want to make to that end, Joe Shane said he was he does not regret putting Waller on his team. An injury riddle player who's had personal issues off the field and now in a debacle of a season, he's choosing to go into and he could have chosen this long before he joined the Giants. He's gonna do some entertainment thing. Maybe he'll give the proceeds to a charity. But at the end of the day, it's not a good look and it shows you why Belichick and other coaches maintain a standard and have success, and why organizations like the Giants, unfortunately, are in a place where I I don't think that they are quite bringing in players to fit within a culture that has to be real strong in order to just be moderately successful in New York. Yeah, but but Dave, this is is all over one rap song, that's all? This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, here's the thing. If, if I was, I'm going to be very honest with mm-hmm. you. I'm going to be very honest with you. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do, I'm a 56-year-old man. Yeah. The last thing I want to do as an athlete or anything as a black man in sports is put something out there with respect to rap music as it hinges on a stereotype on us. I'm trying to see the positivity and what he's doing with this rap. Yeah, but those but those lyrics seem pretty innocent, though, Dave. Like, he was talking about, you know, like, taking hits on the field and, you know, coming into the league, and he mentioned LeBron's draft suit, which was three sizes too big or whatever it was. I don't think there was – I don't think it was, like, what we would term, like, gangster music or anything like that. It was innocent. Uh, for me, it's just not the best look. That's all. He, he's free to do what he wants, but you know when you're, you're in New York – you know that that rap is going to hang on him next season if he remotely shows up the way he did this year, hurting them productive. Well, I mean, Dave, unfortunately, and I thank you for the phone call. I, unfortunately, I think for it to hang on him, as you said, or hang over him, I think people would have to, number one, hear it, which I'm not totally convinced is going <laughs> to happen. I mean, you heard, you, know, you heard Coach Darko and what he thinks about it, right? It's a complete crap. And there might be others that feel exactly the same. Look, I, I, think, I think Dave's being a little too hard on him. Like, you know, pursuing music, I don't care what type of music it is, in the off season, he's not going out there and getting into trouble. There's a lot worse things a player can do during the off season and in his free time, right? I mean, if, it's, if, it's, if he has a passion for it, it's a hobby, let him do it. It's not like it's taking him away from his football. You know, it's like, oh, he's not out there in the gym and he's not training because he's spending, you know, 12 hours a day in the recording studio trying to drop that, you know, sick beat or whatever. No, he's – it's the off season, And it sounds like he's been doing this for a while. You know, the single sounds like it's ready to go. It's going to drop next month. Did I see that the kids were already sleeping outside in tents trying to get online when the, uh, the store opens up? Record store? <laughs> Oh, we're getting silly. We're getting silly. Let's say hi to uh, Dave in Queens, who's up next. David, how are you? Hey, my man, Dan, you're great because you taught me something I didn't know. Uh, first of all, a couple weeks ago, I didn't know about the, the coach rant, and that was good. So now today I learned about this Caitlin Clark um, flop. Yeah, there you go. Flop. That's a flop. And I didn't know about it, so I'm walking home from work, and I see, I hear you say about it, and I say, I can't wait to get home and check this on YouTube. So you think she flopped? Push. You think she flopped? What? Oh yeah, oh yeah. With an impartial mind, I mean, I have no, no, no dog in the fight with women's basketball, but women's college basketball. But the thing is, yeah, that's a tw- she did a twirl. She did three twirls, and then like, like went down like she's not know, a ballerina, a Dave. She she made herself like a ballerina, six foot nine ballerina, and it was very clump. She almost hurt. I think by making the drama, she almost would have hurt herself. I, I don't believe the the spectator injured her or would have even capable of it. Of course it could have happened, but I believe her overdramaticness could have caused herself to be injured and maybe making herself dizzy. And the thing is, I've never called about women's basketball, but now I'm fascinated by this Caitlin Clark. I've heard the name, never seen her in action. I'm going to study her now. And the thing is, she's going to come out next game, I bet, and I'm just score 50 and it's all going to be forgotten. But I think 
nowadays they just like the drama and and let's not ever take away the spectators going on the court because in all my years I've never heard of an injury even with the band on the field right they hurt the band guy got hurt you know but the you know remember he got smashed with, with the football but but nobody ever player ever gets hurt so or a lady or a man so let's never please America they're taking away everything from us. Let's not take away the storming of the court because Caitlin Clark twirled three, four times. Okay? I, I, and, and I don't think it is. And, and, Dave, I tend to agree with you, and I appreciate the phone. I, I agree with you in saying that I, I do think there's a place for it in college sports, especially what, what I question with the storming. Here's my the biggest issue I have with the storming of the court and the storming of the field for that. I mean, it's both, but more so with the court. Sometimes... It's getting to a point where it's a little out of hand now in the sense that now students and schools, they're storming the court for reasons that probably are not worthy of stormage. Right? Like, when you storm the court, there needs to be a legitimate, significant, upset victory. Right? But, like, what example can I use? Um... Like, San Francisco beat, I know it's a football analogy, but, like, the 49ers beating the Packers on Saturday. 49ers were the favorite team. If that was, like, akin to college basketball, they're not storming the field afterwards. They were supposed to win that game, right? The Lions, even though that they haven't been to the championship game in 30-something years, they're not going to storm the field because they were supposed to win that game. They were a favorite. It has to be like a legit upset. You're knocking off like a top 10 team or something like that. Not not even rivalry games. Rivalry games do not count. Upsets. Upsets or maybe championships. That's it. Those are the only grounds for stormage. And I stand by that. 800-919-3776. More of your calls. We'll get into some baseball Hall of Fame on the other side. How many names are we going to hear tomorrow? They're going to be part of the 2024 class. I'll give you my thoughts when we return. Grasso Show till the top on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. So tomorrow, tomorrow we only have one of those flimsy half-hour jobs for you because we got Knicks Nets basketball right here on 98.7. So an abbreviated fast-paced, no-huddle, 30-minute vehicle for you and I tomorrow from 6.30 to 7. So by the time we get on the air tomorrow, they will have announced the class of 2024 for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, you know how the rules work. you got to have 75% of the vote from the writers to get enshrined. Last year, only Scott Rowland was voted in by the writers. You had all these guys that are on you know, the veterans' committees and all this other stuff that found their way into Cooperstown. But Scott Rowland, in the traditional sense, was the only one. Right now, okay, as you and I are speaking, and not all the ballots have been made public, of course, but the ones that have been made public, there are four players who are over the 75% threshold. Now, generally the way this thing works is the numbers come down a little bit once the entire count is totaled up because you have some players, especially when it pertains to the ones that are linked to PEDs, some guys don't like to go public with their votes, so whatever. But right now, you got Adrian Beltre, who's at 99%, Joe Maurer, who's at 83%, Todd Helton at 82 Billy Wagner at 78 and Gary Sheffield's right there at 74 Andrew Jones is at 70 Beltran 66%. Those are the ones that realistically have the best shot to make it. So look... Judging by these numbers, you're going to probably get at least four, maybe even up to six guys 
getting in the Hall of Fame. Now, we did our little kind of just mock ballot, if you will, over on the uh, the baseball channel. And first and foremost, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, I have a problem with the fact that you're allowed to vote up to 10 guys. Okay, because I don't think that any ballot that you see in any given year for the Hall of Fame, that there are 10 Hall of Famers on that ballot. I do not believe it. Okay, so what I think that does is you're just then throwing votes and throwing support in the direction of some players that probably don't deserve it. And more often than not, they don't deserve it. Now, if you're asking me, and and I'm not one of these guys either in the past that has, you know, thrown my support. I'm not an official voter, by the way. I'm not in the Baseball Writers Association of America. I'm just saying, like, my own two cents as somebody who's watched and covered baseball, you know, pretty much their entire life. And now you get to this age, basically every name on the ballot is somebody that I've seen with my own two eyes, like their entire careers. I voted for six guys this year, and that's a lot for me, right? I voted for Carlos Beltran. I know that Carlos Beltran, his legacy, his career, whatever, is stained a little bit by what happened with the Astros and the sign stealing and the garbage cans. Okay. It's not commendable, but it also didn't factor into anything he did in his career as a baseball player. Okay? That was at the end of his career. Everything that he accumulated, stockpiled, done in his career was done, long gone, part of history already. All right? It cost him enough. It cost him a managerial job. It's something that's going to have to stay with him, but that didn't help him get into the Hall of Fame. His prime years had nothing to do with that. And he did enough throughout his career. So Beltron gets my vote. Adrian Beltre, obviously, somebody who's getting in, voted for him, 3,000 hits. That's automatic entry right there. Even though Beltre is a little bit of a guy who some people might look at him as a compiler, you know? Because the funny thing about somebody like Adrian Beltre, who's first year on the ballot, he's somebody who, you know, if we were just having a conversation in the years that he was playing, you'd say, He's not really an elite player. You know, he's not a guy who comes to mind as like a, a, a superstar bona fide stud in Major League Baseball. As a matter of fact, Adrian Beltre, and, and, and I'm sure that they're going to come up with the stat for this once he gets into the Hall of Fame, and they've probably done this already, all the research people. Not too many Hall of Famers make their first All-Star appearance when they're 31 years of age. That's how old Adrian Beltre was when he made his first All-Star game. 31. That's right, Jim Leland's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, too. He was on one of those, um, the contemporary baseball-era non-player uh, committee votes. He got that in, so Leland's going to the Hall of Fame as a manager. Voted for Todd Helton. Todd Helton, I understand the stigma of Colorado, Coors Field. His splits are not as egregious as some others. I think Larry Walker finally getting into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago helped push that stuff to the side about how Rockies players are looked at. But Helton was a damn good hitter, whether it was in Colorado or anywhere else, and he did it for a number of years. He should be a Hall of Famer, and he wasn't bad with the glove either. Andrew Jones, to me, I understand that he fell off a cliff at one point of his career. If you watched Andrew Jones play, and I know that those Braves teams were stockpiled with talent, Andrew Jones might be the best center fielder I've ever seen in my lifetime. And oh, by the way, he could hit the ball too. And he was a pain in the neck, just as much as those other guys were with the Braves. Um, that is a Hall of Famer to me. I voted for Billy Wagner. I've supported Billy Wagner for a number of years. He's the best left-handed reliever in baseball history. The guy should be in the Hall of Fame. 
Okay? If the best lefty reliever of all time is not a Hall of Famer, then who the hell is? And furthermore, when Billy Wagner's last season, when he was 38 years of age with the Atlanta Braves, okay, he had a 1-4-3 ERA. 37 saves. And not so much about the saves, but he had a 1-4-3 ERA and a 0.865 whip in his last season, 38 years of age. Guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I understand that his postseason numbers might drop off a little bit. Doesn't have that World Series ring. I get it. But the guy was pretty damn good. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. And lastly, and this one might rub some people the wrong way, no pun intended, of course. I gave a vote to Sheffield. Okay, Gary Sheffield, I don't care what team he was on. The guy was as feared a hitter as you had in any given lineup that he was a part of. I understand that he got caught up with the Balco stuff and the the cream and the clear and all those things. I get it. But Gary Sheffield was an intimidating presence in any lineup you were going up against, and you hated as a visiting player to see that or a visiting fan to see that guy step into the batter's box. Um, I understand that, you know, earlier in his career, he admitted to not even trying hard necessarily all the time, but Gary Sheffield was a real, real good player. And I know that it's tough to differentiate between guys like that and what about the A-Rods of the world? Well, how can you say that A-Rod's not a whole, yeah, well, obviously the A-Rod story is unique in and of itself. And I don't think I have to go down that road because plenty has been written, said, talked about. I think you know that one. So I go six. We'll see how many we get. I think it's going to be somewhere in that four to six range, and we'll get our answers coming up tomorrow, and we'll react to it in the short time that we have on the program coming up tomorrow. When we return now, we're closing out with you guys on the phones. 800-919-3776. Grasso Show, till the top of the hour, 98.7 ESPN. Six-foot-nine ballerina. 